everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Katie and Me podcast. I'm Katie, and I'm here with my podcasting partner and good friend, Chris. And this episode is brought to us today by Audible. Audible is a leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news, business, and self-development. They even have Audible exclusive content that gets to members for free. Um, Katie, how many Audible books do you have? Oh my God. How many do I have? Yeah. Hundreds. I literally have hundreds. There's roughly 30 in my queue right now and I'm reading three, (laughs) listening to three. I have one in my queue right now, but that's all right. I, but I took advantage of this free trial for one month. And we would love for our listeners to be able to take advantage of that as well. So if you go to audibletrial.com backslash Katie and me podcast, you will be able to get Audible for free for one month. Yes, you get a free book. I mean, that's pretty cool. Yes. Uh, And Audible is A-U-D-I-B-L-E trial, T-R-I-A-L, Dot com backslash Katie and me podcast and Katie is always K-A-T-Y. So I'm going to kick off today's podcast talking about community alignment. And for those that aren't familiar or what I mean by community alignment, uh, I'm referring to the employers, employees, local government officials, community leaders, any educational institutions, whether it's K through 12 or community colleges or colleges, agriculture, everyone that's essentially in your community. And um, I've had in my life several careers where I've been involved with community alignment and working with some communities where everyone was kind of pointing in the same direction to try and maintain or expand the viability of that community or region. And then I've also worked with some communities where people were pulling in opposite directions or it became more of a ego and who was going to take credit for certain initiatives. Yeah. Yeah. Some of my experience in in higher education has shown that the communities that are willing to work together end up being more successful than those that don't. And that sounds pretty obvious, but it's not always as easy as it seems to try and get everyone pointed in the same direction. Mm -hmm. And Katie, you and I have talked about for a long time, the folks that enjoy and reap the benefits of having an active agricultural community. Mm -hmm. But the folks that love going to the farmer's markets or are wanting to go and only eat organic, they aren't necessarily the best at being able to communicate or align with with ag folks. There's kind of like a little bit of a disconnect Mm -hmm. there. There can be, yeah. Um, Yeah, there can be. And so that has always kind of resonated with me in that, In communities, particularly as you look at more rural communities, and again, I'm I'm referencing some of my past positions where we focused a lot on rural locations with educational settings in Indiana and Ohio. So I want to make sure I'm clear that I'm speaking more about those communities. But there's been this, particularly in Indiana, there's been this migration to you know, Indianapolis and Fort Wayne and Evansville to, to some extent. But the the rural communities are, they, they've been struggling a little bit, mm-hmm. I would say, up until maybe within the last five or 10 years where people have started making some specific initiatives to 
kind of combine resources and, mm-hmm. and, and shine a light on a region as opposed to maybe just an individual town or county. Right, right. And so what I've seen is some regional economic development groups that have done a good job of pulling all of the assets of, say, three, five, nine county region together mm-hmm. and kind of highlight this as a, hey, this is a great location in general. We're not just saying, hey, move to Muncie or move to Richmond or wherever it may be. We're saying, hey, move to this nine county area. Mm -hmm. Look at all the benefits that you're going to have access to. Mm -hmm. And again, there is still people fighting for jobs and fighting for recognition, but those organizations have been really successful. The ones that have kind of pulled resources together and say, hey, let's all point and run in this same direction. Let's let's shine a light on what we have going on with our community colleges here. Let's look at this major university that we have in this region. Here's all the top employers. Here's the pool of employees. Here's what local government officials are doing. Here's the initiatives that we've kind of developed together. And what I've seen is behind closed doors, not everyone is agreeing on everything. And people are maybe marking some lines in the sand or we're not going to be able to fund this and less this and and things along those lines. But ultimately, when that is all hashed out, the successful communities that have done a good job of attracting new employers and bringing new activities that draw people in to spend money in those areas, they all carry the same banner when they walk out. So they may have been some dust ups behind closed doors and some arguments and, you know, we need better recognition on this. You got to figure things out. Exactly. Exactly. And ultimately, the ones that I'm seeing success with are the ones that they all are pointed in the same direction after they have those kind of behind closed doors meetings. Mm -hmm. What I've also learned is that for these communities to continue to grow and be attractive, they need to have skin in the game. Everybody that's involved needs to have some skin in the game. There's really no longer an acceptable passive contributor. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone needs to kind of be out there doing whatever they can to attract and bring opportunity to their community. Uh, it's not good enough just to be a large employer and sit on your hands. Right. You know, you need to be actively demonstrating and saying, here's the type of skills that we're hiring for. Here's the type of people that fit well into our organization. Here's what we can do to help attract talent. Same with government officials and local and regional economic development folks. They all need to be communicating and have an understanding of of what needs are out there and if Mm -hmm. they're being met. Particularly when it comes to employment, the employment world can change so quickly with technology changes, what workers need from a skill standpoint now may not be the same as it was 10 years ago. It may not even be the same as it was a year ago. Mm -hmm. So the communities that can understand that and align with training or educational partners to address those needs, to make sure that not only that people that are currently in those positions are having the opportunity for skill ups, Mm -hmm. but also that you're building a pool of workers that already have those base skills. Right it makes things so much more viable because then companies aren't having to pay as much in training costs. They're not necessarily having to recruit from all over the country and pay those costs for relocation. So kind of building that base of local talent is really important and it needs to be evaluated pretty much on an annual basis so that those skill up opportunities and 
new talents and new skills are identified so that you're not left in a difficult spot where your community is slowly dying because it can't maintain employers or, or keep people uh, located there. So, yeah, it's been it's yeah, workforce of, development is a huge key in, in smaller communities. Yeah. And everywhere Got I go please. in past jobs or some of my current jobs, it's all about development of, of the workforce and mm-hmm. how do we how do we address this? And mm-hmm. a lot of it is it's moving away from the traditional four year education model. You know, I really wish I would love to see bringing back some of the apprenticeship models, you know, that were popular even when I was in high school, learning how to work on cars and uh, electricians and plumbers and all those types of skills where you can make an incredible living right away Mm -hmm. um, and not have debt. (laughs) (laughs) You're you're contributing to the workforce immediately. And I just think we need to continue to push that. Yes, there is always going to be reason for four-year degrees, but it isn't the be-all and end-all, and it's not the route that everybody sh- should take. I, I do think there's some evolving – I mean, there's constantly evolving in our workforce, right? But right. What I think is going to be the critical kind of determiner is do you have agility in your workforce? Right. Your workforce is certified for X. We see the market moving this direction. What's in place to move that move the workforce in that direction? And that brings you the employers. But without the employers, it's very hard to get those rural spaces developed. I yeah. worked on a Main Street thing once, and there's a lot of concern about the decline in population in rural communities. And I have some hope that the expansion of broadband that we've been mm-hmm. working on for like right, 10 years now, that the expansion of access – and the increase in companies that allow work from home mm-hmm. is going to allow people to move out into areas that are uh, less expensive to live in, yeah. right? Because right. we have this affordable housing crisis. Well, there's some affordable housing available in a lot of rural communities, right. you know, but again, you have to be able to work. So there, the whole system, you're right. I do think all six horses or whatever it is need to be pulling the wagon the same direction mm-hmm. instead of pulling against each other, fighting for those resources. Agreed. I'll leave our listeners with this. So an action item that I would love to hear from you guys on, you can shoot us your ideas as well, and maybe even email Katie or I at uh, chris at kdme.com or katie at kdme.com. Mm-hmm. But what I would love to have you do is go to Google and just do a search of local or regional economic development organizations in your area, wherever you live. And you can tell pretty quickly which ones appear to be successful and which ones appear to to be less successful or struggling. And I would encourage you to kind of explore the differences between the two and email us what your your thoughts are on that. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can tell quickly the ones that look like they're all working together, or if there's a bunch of individual economic development organizations that are more focused on just their own county or their own town, it'd be interesting to see what you guys think about that. So I will leave you with that and uh, look forward to getting some feedback from our listeners. Absolutely. And you can also find us on Twitter at Katie and Me Pod or Instagram, uh, Katie and Me Podcast. Thank you, Chris. Sure. What are you going to talk to us about today? I love thinking about that stuff. I'm going to talk about media literacy. Everyone listening, (laughs) this is also a very topical, pertinent, contemporary thing. I have a tendency to pick subjects, and so do you, that our format really would have to expand to really cover well. But I'm going to hit some of the highlights of modern media literacy, and maybe we can all kind of work together and pull the things out of this that are helpful for you. But 
the first thing I think everyone needs to acknowledge is that media is kind of this ubiquitous thing. The mm -hmm. sitcom you watch is media. Your Instagram feed is media. We shouldn't be confusing media with journalism. Okay. All right. So a lot of what I'm addressing today is about journalism okay. or how to tell general media, propaganda, all kinds of things from journalism. I mean, we're all kind of familiar with this in a bygone era when it comes to what's available at the newsstand. I used to pick up news at the grocery store, honestly. They had mm -hmm. newspapers. They had all kinds of stuff. But they also had, by the checkout, they had tabloids. Sure. Right? Well, we still have still those. Do. Right. But we also have them online. Mm -hmm. And yet there seems to be, especially because a lot of this is new, to, depending on your age, is new, there seems to be this idea that because something's on the internet, it's in some way official. And that is the furthest thing from the truth. It's no different than finding a napkin with a scrawl on the floor at a diner. <laughs> There's no, anything can go on the internet, right? right? Think about the internet as divided into large-scale newspapers, smaller-scale, which are actually on the internet, and a bunch of tabloids. Mm -hmm. And you need to be able to weed out the tabloids, right? So ask yourself, when you experience content, when you're exposed to content online or in the media, ask yourself, what's the goal of the content? All content is created with a goal in mind. Yep. Have you ever read something because you thought that you would agree with it? Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Like yeah. today, right? Yeah. yeah. Because we all do that. Right. It gives you like validation. Right. You're like, oh, yeah, somebody right. else thinks See, that. See, I was yeah. Right. right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, oh, they're helping me know how to look at this from my preconceived right. point of view. Exactly. Exactly. So um, another thing I would encourage you to do is the exact opposite of that. Read something because you think you're going to disagree with mm -hmm. it. But don't pick a tabloid kind of situation, sure. right? So we're going to seek out real journalism and we're going to read something that we think from the outset, I don't think I'm going to agree with this, but I'm going to read this other side of the tape. That's the first step <laughs> in getting outside of a dangerous algorithmic bubble online. So do you mean like uh, op-eds, like opinion pieces? It can or? be opinion pieces. And I was actually just about to bring that up. We need to start immediately noting if something is an editorial or opinion piece right. or if something is actual journalism where there's empirical evidence cited, ask yourself, is there empirical evidence here? If so, is it from a neutral party? And if it's not, what information would counterbalance that to complete our picture, mm -hmm. right? Because again, sure. everyone has motivation. The content wouldn't have been created without some kind of motive. That's not always a bad thing. That's the case when we create everything. Sure. But they're trying to get clicks, right? right. So, I mean, they're trying to get clicks. And so you can tell by the titles a lot. I don't want to hijack your topic, but I, I think you can tell by the titles a lot. This is written this way to try and get people to click on right, it. Right. So, to raise clicks, my blood pressure yeah, one and, way or another. And clicks mm -hmm. generate money, right? So that's, exactly. that's what they're doing. But it doesn't necessarily right. mean that what they're saying is factual. Yeah. Right. And also don't email me about this. Don't tweet at me about this. But if you have ever shared something without actually reading it, shared it based on the headline, yeah. you should not be on my social media. Right. That makes me absolutely insane. That is like part of the biggest problem we have. <laughs> so um, anyway, back no. to the topic at hand. Right. Um, so how <laughs> do you tell <laughs> How do you tell if what you're looking at is worth your time and mental ability? Because really you're wasting your time when you're looking at things that are basically tabloids online. You say, okay, um, how is the outlet held responsible and by whom is it held mm -hmm. responsible, right? You can tell these things based on what they do when they're wrong. Do they issue a correction, mm -hmm. right? If they don't issue corrections when they're wrong, 
I would completely disregard it and cut it out of my life. And I'm not exaggerating. I go check for those just like I did when I would pick up newspapers. Right. When I was see younger. if there's a retraction or see if there yeah, are apology. retractions. Yeah. See if they see if they make a note that says this story originally cited this, but it's actually you know a slightly this, different yep. thing. That's that's integrity. And that is a necessary component of actual journalism. So you're looking for someone who is held responsible by ethical standards, who notes when they've made a mistake and does something about that mistake. You're looking for stuff with empirical evidence cited. You're looking for things that strive for balance. Now, here's the thing about balance in reporting. If your team loses Mm -hmm. and I report the Chris party team lost – the whatever, you know, the pedal bike race, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? You <laughs> yeah. lost. Yeah. I am not being unbalanced or biased by reporting that you lost. Right. If I report- It's factual. It's factual, mm-hmm. right? So right. so you can't get mad at the outlet for reporting when something doesn't go well or does go well. That is simply a fact. Right. And then there's more on how they handle it after that, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or what they choose to cover, which losers they choose to cover, that kind of situation. But you've got to be just a little bit savvy there. You can't go, well, there against my pedal bike right. racing team. They're not no, against you. we lost and they reported right. that we and they lost. they reported that yeah. you lost. Exactly. So you want to look at that. You want to look for things that are labeled native content or sponsored content. So this is a problem. A friend of mine called me one day, this is a true story, and said, why am I getting all of these ads for knockoff men's stimulation pills? And I said, what websites have you been visiting, right? Because these (laughs) algorithms work based on the people they expect on those sites. What have you? And she said, oh, I've been researching X. And I went, well, that's why you're (laughs) getting these things because you're researching these crazy, you know, websites. But what they're expecting are, no offense, but, you know, people with problems in that department. (laughs) That's who's on these websites. So (laughs) so (laughs) I'd be very careful not to list what she was right to offend someone. But- But anyway, so this is all done by algorithm. You need to look. There's a lot of things that come up, and they look like – this is native content. They look like they're part of the website. They look legitimate, Mm -hmm. but there's fine print. Or if Mm -hmm. you hover over it, there's a little X in the corner because it's actually an advertisement. And I can't stress this enough. There's almost never a situation where you should click on an ad from a website. Almost never. They are tracking you. When you click on it, you will get more of it. And unless you're doing research, it is a a disgusting road. So I love advertisers, but when you are intentionally disguising yourself online, I have to ask, why are you disguising yourself? Mm -hmm. So you want to look for that sponsored and native content. And generally, I avoid those sorts of things. Assume everything's an ad until you prove otherwise. That's the problem with native content, right? Do you also need to assume that everything is probably fake until you really dig into it? And I guess I'm I'm, that's a, I'm that's going into like deep fakes right now a little bit because okay. with with so many deep fakes beginning to it's it's just starting to become a yeah, really a thing. Yeah, I'm okay? like I'm really worried what's going right. to happen in the right. next like two so, years with it. But so if, I, if I just kind of go in and assume that everything is. Is a, is a fake until until I, proven otherwise. Yeah, until and I you kind know, of read it. I actually have a note that says everything's an ad until it's proven otherwise, and don't take anything as gospel until it's been corroborated in the next forty eight hours. Yeah. Right. So if your favorite little site reports on something, but somehow no, no one, one else, else picks up on it, right. you haven't stumbled across some conspiracy. You're on a site that's done a poor job. Right. I mean, that's how it works. Yeah, absolutely. And the key there is you have to practice this kind of media savvy or media health, Mm -hmm. right? And then develop an instinct, develop some gut feeling about 
that seems extreme. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because I'm amazed at some of the things people tell me they believe because they got it from they're on some email list for some lobby group mm-hmm. and it's absolutely abjectly false. But they have based their life on this belief, and it's really stunning to me. So you've got to look for corroboration, and if something seems scandalous and yet no one ever talks about it, if it seems extreme, if it seems like a huge thing, but it just never comes up, the chances are it's not a thing. And that's really hard to hear because, again, we want to believe things that align with our existing views. Sure. And you have to fight that. Right. Responsibility means fighting that. And I'm going to cram in a couple more points here. I'm talking about balanced reporting earlier. If 98% of professional, I don't know, figure skaters say X about Mm -hmm. the type of ice that they need to be on and 2% say X about what's best, balance is not giving 50-50 voice to those two parties, okay? Mm -hmm. Because 98% is vast agreement and 2% is a statistical outlier. So you don't give them 50% airtime and we need to stop pretending that that is the case, Hmm. right? That's a a huge frustration of mine. People go, oh, they didn't report the other side. They gave it one sentence. And I'm like, well, the other side is a guy in a tinfoil hat in a trailer in Arizona right now who's been abducted (laughs) three times by aliens. Maybe he doesn't go up against the UN. I'm just saying. So (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, And then, uh, so I guess what I'm saying is always play devil's advocate. Even if you agree with something, play devil's advocate. And I have a story for this for our extra episode that's like for our our subscription-only episode that I think is just amazing. The gift I received from my dad and his wisdom. Nice. Um, I guess the final thing that I really wanted to point out is that data interpretation is a skill. And you need to always be skeptical about that as well. So there's an example that gets used in political science classes in school. And it says that where there's a fire, where there's the most firemen, there's also the most property damage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they go, oh, it must mean the firemen, the more firemen, the more they're going to damage your property. (laughs) And the reality of this is there's more firemen there because it was a bigger fire. All right. So Keep in mind, op-eds, editorials, all of this stuff, it is very often a case of selectively choosing how you're going to present something. That's the difference between those opinion pieces and real journalism that is digging in. Real journalism is trying to understand. So they're reporting something and they are trying to get to the truth. And so they're going to say, oh, we don't think it's this because of this. And, you know, there's a lot to it. There's a lot of integrity there. And journalists do not get enough credit for the service that they provide, in my opinion. But it's hard. It's really hard sure, to navigate this especially today's day and age. I changing think it's really, landscape. Because yeah. everything is so so polarizing. It is. It um, is. So I think that makes it even more challenging. One thing I do when I look at stories is because you and I are on some of the same uh, user groups. Mm-hmm. And if I see the source and I've never heard the source before, I'm not even going to waste my time opening the article, even mm-hmm. if it's something that seems like would I would be – Agreeing with, I'm right. like, I've never heard Don't go down of that road. bumblebeestorytime.com. I'm not going to click on right, that. Right, right. I'm not going to trust them for <laughs> right. health information. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's so. exactly it. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm not going to go down that. And because you, you that's have, a you good have to, rule. You have, you have to have be a consumer. Common sense. You have to be a smart consumer. Yeah, of and you where are you're getting consuming. From. That's right. exactly it. And you know, if you don't, if you don't understand what is being sold, what the product is, right? right. It's you. Yeah. It's you're, your the, you're the it, sucker. You're the yeah, one that's being it's, sold. It's, it's how to steer you around the internet. It's all of that. So so this is super, super critical. And I know a lot of people just blow it off and go, oh, I just, I just 
you know, try not to use the internet. And yeah. I'm like, well, that's not, yeah, that's not, help- that's maybe not helping that's, either, that's but, not, um, it's not so, a viable solution. Yeah. And, and I have, if you want to learn more about this, there's a great book. It's designed for teenagers, but the whole planet should read it called The Fallacy Detective. And it's fun. And I went through it with my kids years ago. And I'm so glad I did. I'm about to do it again. And there's also, if you've, if you've never, been on. There's Crash Course. They're Mm. available on YouTube, and they have one called Media Literacy with Jay Smooth. And I can't recommend that enough. Again, making my kids go through it, suggesting it to family members. I'm like, can we all get a little more savvy about this? Because you'd be surprised how much easier life is when nobody was on Bumble, Mumble, (laughs) whatever I just said, (laughs) health, whatever blog, making decisions about their terminal illness. So yeah, keep it. Keep all that. That was a lot of no. That was awesome. And I, you know what? The You and I usually sit over coffee and have these kind of discussions. I know. Which is a great segue into our final topic for today, uh, which yes. is baristas. Yay! Um, and so we reached out to some of our favorite baristas and asked them what they wish everyone else in the world knew about their job and got some pretty interesting comments. I work at a co-op workspace and they have, uh, brilliantly, they opened up a coffee shop in there, which mm-hmm. I wish I would have thought of that because they're always busy. And so the main barista there, she's told me, she said, one thing I really enjoy about being a barista is the wide variety of people I meet every day. Sometimes that can be good, bad, or indifferent. But part of this job is being able to deal with a wide variety of people and personalities. Uh, And I thought that was pretty telling. And we, you know, in a less formal setting, she said, and, you know, you're also dealing with people who haven't yet had their (laughs) Their coffee. coffee. (laughs) uh, Which we, you know, we all kind of joke about, but it is, it's a reality. There's, There's a lot of people that really are... You know, they're addicted to caffeine, right? And if they haven't had their morning coffee, (laughs) yeah, right? Uh, (laughs) If they haven't had their morning coffee yet, they can be challenging to deal with. So I think she was being generous. I think she was being being very generous. Um, But, you know, she did say it's pretty cool that. Every day, you're you know you're meeting new people and how people interact with her. Uh, she said tells tells her a lot about how they probably mm-hmm. treat people in general because they're not necessarily at their best if they haven't had their coffee yet. But if they're still, you know, a nice still person, nice she's person. like you know what they're probably a good person in their in their day to day life as well. Uh, so that that was a cool interaction I had. Did you um, did you get a chance to talk with anybody? I did. Um, I heard some complaining about uh, how people come into private shops and order like they're at the yeah, big chain right? and how difficult that was to have people walk in and order with different sizes than they mm-hmm. use with different menu items than they offer. And they're like, okay, there was the whole thing back here and I'm happy to talk you through this, but don't get pushy with me because right. you want your milkshake. Yeah. Yes. I think that's just kind of rude though. I, I, in all honesty, and maybe it's because I've I've owned some of my own small businesses, but I would be offended if someone came in and started quoting tours for one of my competitors. Oh, you know, can we do the XYZ tour or whatever? I, I just think like people need to yeah. kind of be aware of of where they're being a patron. And I, I could see that would be incredibly frustrating because as a small business owner, you, you, what you want to do is you want to be like, you're being a jack and apes here. And <laughs> But I can't say that because I have to, you know, put out a – I can't afford a bad Yelp review or, you know, things along those lines. So I could see that being incredibly frustrating. So don't don't go in to a mom-and-pop shop and treat it like it's – 
a Starbucks or a Dunkin' Donuts. I mean, be respectful yeah, of where you are. And order you know? what they, yeah, yeah order or what ask they for their serve. recommendation, or you know, yeah. like just just be a yeah. nice person. And I know we all need out. our coffee fix, but mm-hmm. you know, they're ultimately going to be the one that's going to serve yeah. you. So just be nice. Yeah, and there's so much personality to coffee beans. If you're actually a coffee person, you want to explore what each shop yeah. has. Like you, I, this is my thing, right? I'm like this fanatical coffee person. Yeah, which takes us to the best roast. Only the best roasters can dark roast beans and not ruin them, right? Who's your favorite roaster, by the way? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. My favorite roaster is Old Crown in Fort Wayne, Indiana. (laughs) You talk about them constantly. I love them. I have been a customer for 19 years now. Is that right? 18 or 19 years now? That's awesome. Yeah, and I've shipped it all over the country as I've moved around, and I we've it's now being shipped to Europe. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah, incredible hand roasted beans. But again, they do this dark roast that is still oily and not burnt, which is impressive. I mean, I drink I I know it's not cool to drink dark roast. I get that. I, I try don't mind and drink roast. lighter roast. I like light roast just because it has more caffeine in it. But well, it's also it's it's got all these different. I mean, coffee is like wine, right? Right, absolutely. It's got all these different traits and and sometimes I can smell a coffee and go, nope, that is right. wrong. So, yeah, I would say that there are some very large coffee conglomerates that routinely burn their beans uh, <laughs> and almost every time you have their coffee you notice it um, oh gosh let's do an episode where we talk about how to make good coffee at home well, let's do that <gasps> hey hey coffee people contact yeah. us let yeah. us know yeah uh, i'm a big french press fan when i have the time to do it i like mm-hmm. making french press um mm-hmm. but i don't you can't make a lot of it <laughs> So I'm like, I'll do French press and then I'll also have, you know, my industrial size jug making coffee as well. But yeah, I, I think uh, anyway, so be good to your baristas mm-hmm. for sure. Put your phone down when you order. Yeah. Don't be real. that guy or gal. Um, that came up a lot. Because and it delays, it delays getting your order correctly. And you're more likely than to make a mistake trying to order like you're at a Starbucks when you're at, you know, mom and pop shop because you're not really paying attention to what's going on around right, you. Right. Plus it pisses the people off behind you too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy. You should be prepared when you get up there, and that's from another customer. Yeah. But yeah, hey, let us know what you think about about all of this. at um, On Twitter, we're at Katie and Me Pod, and Katie is K-A-T-Y. Uh, Instagram is at Katie and Me Podcast. And you can email us, Chris at Katie and Me.com or Katie at Katie and Me.com. We would love to hear what you in your profession wish everyone knew, um, what topics you want to hear from us in the future, your tips about making coffee at home, or your tips about anything. I love interacting with you guys and I really appreciate you listening. So let's do that. And Chris, one more time, who's our sponsor today? Yeah. So we have a partnership with Audible. Uh, Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to self-development, news and business books. And currently they are offering a free trial for one month. All you have to do is go to audibletrial.com backslash Katie and me podcast. And that is A-U-D-I-B-L-E trial, T-R-I-A-L.com backslash Katie and me podcast. And Katie is always spelled K-A-T-Y. Great stuff today, Katie. I'm super excited to go grab some coffee with you sooner than later. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Chris.